Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 461, Integration of Psychology and Christianity. I hope you listen and enjoy. Hi, welcome back to Unit 5. Where today we're going to be talking about applied integration. We're also going to be talking about the Christian psychology model. And so we're going to be reviewing the applied domain first and that is the attempt to either culturally adapt or accommodate secular interventions or helping approaches for use with Christian with a Christian population in other words we've looked at the worldview and remember the theory comes from the worldview and then the theory then leads to the application these are the things that we're actually doing to help our clients and so applied integration comes from our theory. And again, it all gets back to our worldview. And so with an applied integration, we have two different types. We have implicit integration and explicit integration. You should also know you'll see something about this on your final, probably defining it and maybe giving some examples. But you should be prepared to talk about implicit and explicit integration for your final. But implicit integration is much more covert. It's when a clinician chooses between a range of clinical decisions and techniques that are recognizable facts of standard secular practice because one set of options is more consistent with a Christian worldview or Christian values. In other words, we're going to choose to do this set of interventions because it lines up more closely with a Christian worldview, but it's most likely not a Christian intervention, so to speak. So for instance, it might be me doing cognitive behavioral therapy because God wants us to have healthy thoughts and cognitive behavioral therapy is trying to help us have healthier thoughts. But again, it's coming from a secular worldview and so what healthy thoughts look like looks like may be different. That would be much more implicit. I'm choosing something because it more closely lines up with my worldview. Explicit integration is when some aspect of Christianity or Christian faith is formally formally and openly included in clinical practice. And so in this case, if we wanted to make cognitive behavioral therapy more explicit, then I'm going to then talk about the thoughts that God wants us to have, how to direct our thoughts towards Christ. So that would be kind of the difference between implicit and explicit. Intentional integration is prayerfully depending on the Holy Spirit to lead and guide the therapeutic session using implicit or explicit or both in a professionally competent, ethically responsible, and clinically sensitive way for the benefit and growth of the client. That's really important that we take into consideration that last part for the benefit and growth of the client. So sometimes if you're wanting to work with a client, the applied practice is going to be much more implicit. And we're just choosing those interventions because they line up well with a Christian perspective. And sometimes you're going to have the opportunity to be much more explicit with your clients and using things like prayer or talking more openly about God and their... um, the impact of their sin or whatever. 
So implicit integration, like I said, tends to be more covert. Um, it can add in something like an assessment for religious functioning or omit something. Not using an intervention in counseling because it goes against Christian beliefs. So the uh, with implicit in integration, like if we're adding an assessment for religious functioning, we're, that's going to open doors to talk about religion, but it's in a very clinical type way. Um, so different forms of implicit integration is religiously sensitive clinical practice, the psychologist-clergy collaboration, and implicitly integrative protocols. So under religiously sensitive clinical practice, this is where we get to start talking about things like our clients' values or beliefs. Um, there's three different worlds within implicit integration. We have clinical, moral, and spiritual, and they all have their own language. For instance, in clinical language, we use words like dysfunction, self-esteem. And the moral language is things like right or wrong, or things being fair or not fair. Spiritual language uses things like grace or mercy. So implicit integration tries to find similar or equivalent words from another world. So instead of explicitly talking about God, you might discuss the psychological benefits of religion. And you can already see how clinical that sounds. But some of you may work in very secular settings, and this is how we are able to without being explicit. You may end up working in a secular setting that doesn't allow for it. And some of you may say, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And you can test the waters and see. And some of you will, may find that you're finding different employment. And that's okay, too. I think that we're all called to different professions. And I think we're, some of us are called to work in very secular fields. Some of us are called to work in a church. So the implicit integration, though, allows us to work in very secular fields while still being true to our spiritual beliefs, our, our Christian beliefs, and while still doing things that may be beneficial for our clients and ultimately point our clients back to God. So sometimes we can use equivalent words or phrasings from one area to the next. And so we can then explore religion with a client in a very secular setting that would otherwise not allow for it. Now, we also have what's called the psychologist-clergy collaboration. This is a very holistic approach. It's acknowledging the importance of the client's spiritual life, and it allows clergy to help address it instead of the, clin instead of the clinician. So in other words, the psychologist goes, hey, this is something that's very important, and I want to bring in your pastor to come alongside to address this area and we're going to keep working in, th in these things, maybe your thoughts your, and your thought processes, and we're going to have your pastor come in. And so then it becomes a, literally a psychologist-clergy collaboration where they're working together on things to better uh, and more holistically address the issues that a person's coming in for. There's also what's called implicitly integrative models. These would be things like sexual identity therapy, and this was first developed by um, Mark Yarhouse, and it's addressing conflict between sexual identity and religious beliefs. And then finally, we have things like supervision, which tends to be much more implicit, where we can guide our supervisees 
towards different areas of their life than they need to work on, but often in very implicit ways. So <clears throat> pros of implicit integration, it's always working in the background. It's something you can always do, no matter what setting that you're in. You can be very subtle with it in very secular areas, and that allows for you to continue in those fields. And you can use implicit integration to open doors for more explicit integrative moments. Even if you're working in a very secular area, if your client brings up God, then you're free to talk about him. And you can use implicit integration to help try to open those doors. And you just follow your clients. Um, you just try to follow your clients and what they're saying at the time to make the best clinical decisions in the moment. And I've personally found many people are spiritual, even if they claim that they're atheist or agnostic. A lot of people end up being totally okay talking about God once you've built that trust. Now, cons. Sometimes people hide behind implicit integration and they're never brave enough to get explicit with clients for whatever the reason is. Um, it requires a, a, quite a bit of clinical and theological knowledge to be able to bridge that gap and to do it effectively. And it's also really easy to do bad integration when we do implicit integration because, again, it requires a lot of theological knowledge to know what lines up best with my Christian beliefs. You also have to be able to know what your worldview is so you can make these decisions. Now, on the other end of things, we have explicit integration. This is where we start mining scripture, mining Christianity for protocols, interventions. These are the things that we do. This could be including prayer, doing some type of um, forgiveness exercise. Um, and so... There's things like forgiveness, there's hope-focused couples approach, there's the grace-based marital restoration model, there's Christian cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and some therapy models can be used either implicitly or explicitly. I mentioned this earlier, using cognitive behavioral therapy, you can use that very implicitly, just working on unhealthy thought processes versus healthy thought processes, or very explicitly, we can look at the thought processes that lead me more to focusing on Christ and those where it takes my focus off of Christ. And so we can use things like prayer. We can incorporate scripture. We can have our clients meditate on scripture, do a Bible study, become involved in some type of a group, emphasizing things like forgiveness, um, Adjunctive interventions are those interventions used as adjuncts to the primary clinical services being provided. So explicitly, this would be getting people involved in different types of groups or ministries. Um, this would be getting a mentor or some type of lay counselor involved as well. Um, getting church leadership, life group, Sunday school, uh, youth group. And then there's also what we call the non-clinical applied integration. This is the, what's community psychology, and it's looking at social, cultural, economic, political, environmental, and international influences to provide change at both individual and systemic levels. And so um, when we're looking at integration, we have the 
implicit, we have explicit, and we have this non-clinical applied integration. And so Christian community psychologists often use their convictions to guide what they do for a community or a group of people. Um, they see it as practicing their faith as an extension. They see, their, they see it as practicing their faith as well as an extension of practicing psychology. And so this tends to be implicit, but can be explicit. And so that is just a brief overview of implicit and explicit um, integration and the applied integration model. Again, you need to read your book because it has so much more um, details and examples to um, understand. Now, we're going to shift over to talking about the Christian psychology model. This is coming from the Five Views book by Johnson, Eric Johnson. Um, so the, the Christian psychology model is somewhat critical of modern science. Um, now, they do embrace in the empirical research methodologies, but they don't embrace the modernistic, naturalistic, um, even potentially humanistic views of modern psychology. So it sees psychology as insufficient because of these worldviews. Um, some of psychology's conclusions might be true, yet it does not go deep enough with the research conclusions or applications. So because of science's materialism and humanism, there's no room for the spiritual. And so Christian psychology is saying we need to do empirical research that also considers the spiritual side of man. Um, it says the worldview of science is just too influential. And so we need to look at scripture as our beginning point. So they see in pathology from a Christian psychology perspective, pathology is the opposite of well-being. And so how they're using the word pathology um, is just a different meaning than what's used in psychology. So helping people move from psychology, from, sorry, from pathology to health includes concepts such as being righteous, peacemaking, mercy, grace, gentleness. Christian, Christian psychology is a shift in thinking using different terminology and having different goals. And again, they're wanting quality empirical studies that examine human nature from a Christian tradition. Um, they want to emphasize Christian research and how it is different from scientific research and because of the worldviews. And so this would in turn help us engage and defend against misunderstood criticisms within the Christian community and within research. So some of the pros of Christian psychology. One, they're attempting to add legitimate research based on scripture and grounded in Christian tradition. It addresses a need that's largely been lacking. There's not been a huge emphasis on quality empirical Christian research grounded in Scripture, although it's certainly there, and there's been a lot even since this book was written. And it carries the potential for unique, for unique and credible research that can bolster psychological understandings. Now, some of the weaknesses are the cons. There's various conflicting Christian views on a number of psychological and theological concepts. So which one's right? Who do we go with? 
Who decides which position makes up the Christian psychology? And the scientific research still follows traditional research methods already established in modern sciences. And so, is it possible that if you follow modern scientific processes that there's still an influence from that modernism, naturalism, um, humanism? And so, these are all just things to consider as we're looking at these different models. Again, we've talked about levels of explanation and how each one informs but does not necessarily transform. We've talked about integration, which transforms. We're looking at science, we're looking at um, theology, and we're looking at how the two influence each other. We're looking at interpreting or reinterpreting or repositioning, if you will. With Christian psychology, we're saying that we need to look at scientific research, but very cautiously. And as Christians, we need to be doing quality empirical research and so that we can then develop a fuller psychology of man based off that um, empirical research that's being done. So again, today we talked about applied integration and that's coming from the theories and the theories come from the worldviews. And within applied integration, we have implicit and we have explicit. Implicit are those things that's much more covert, under the scenes. We may still be doing a secular intervention, but it's one that does not conflict with traditional Christian values or beliefs or your worldview. And then finally, we looked at the Christian psychology model. So what's next? Keep reading your books. I cannot stress this enough. It's important that you continue reading. You need to um, complete all of your writing assignments. Hopefully you've chosen your topic and you've, been, you've begun researching for your papers. There is no quiz this week. However, your quiz next week will cover both Unit 5 and Unit 6. I, again, your quiz next week will be on this unit and the next unit. So no quiz this week. So use that extra time that you would use for your quizzes to work on your research papers. Make sure you're finding quality sources for your papers and that you've started writing. Make sure that you are staying in touch with your professor. Stay on schedule. It's really important that you get all of these done on time so that you don't get overwhelmed at the end. And I hope and pray that you are doing well and that you are able to just stay on top of things. Have a great day. Thanks.